You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Revelation chapter 10 in your Bibles, we started this chapter last week, and this is a a little bit of an interlude uh, at the midway point of the tribulation period. Now, tribulation is going to last for how many years? Seven years. So we are three and a half years in. We have seen now the seven seal judgments, and now we have seen the six trumpet judgments, but we have not yet seen the seventh trumpet, and we have not yet seen the seven vile judgments. And when I say vile, it's V-I-A-L, uh, maybe similar to like what we would picture a bowl. And imagine a bowl being poured out, uh, but not a bowl poured out of food. Uh, we're not talking about a bowl of cereal. We're not talking about a bowl of popcorn. We're talking about a bowl that has the wrath of God that is poured out upon a sinful world that hates God and a, a world that has rejected God. So we're in the middle of that, and we saw last week, number one, that we need to get our focus on the Lord. In the midst of all these plagues and all of this destruction, it says in verse 1 that John saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow upon his head, and his face like the sun, his feet as pillars of fire. And uh, He had in his hand a little book, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth, and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And we saw uh, of that. And then there were seven thunders. And those seven thunders gave a message. And John was getting ready to write it. You remember that? And the angels, another angel said, stop, stop. Don't write that. that. You're not allowed to write that down. We don't know what that was. And so we said last week, number two, there are some things that God does not want us to know. How many of you know that there are things in life that you're not going to understand and you're not going to know down here? Amen. All God's people said, amen. Uh, Jesus said, there are some things you won't know now, but there are some things you will know hereafter. I think when we get to heaven, I think a lot of things are going to make sense. And I've heard people say it, and I'm sure you've heard it too. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, God, why did you allow this to happen? Well, maybe you will. Maybe that's... Maybe that will be the way it'll go. But I just tend to think that when we get to heaven, whatever it is you're so worried about right now, I don't really think that's going to matter when you get to heaven, when I get to heaven. But there are some things that God does not want us to know. There are some things that he hasn't showed us. There are many things that he has told us. But the book of Revelation, it's a revealing, it's an unveiling. And so if there's still something that you don't know, that God hasn't showed you, that God hasn't told us, It's because we don't need to know. I was preaching in the elementary chapel, in the high school chapel today, those two chapel services, and we're talking about faith. And you know what faith is? Faith is believing something without seeing it. Now, we don't like to operate that way. Every one of us, if we're honest, we like to operate by sight. You know what that means? We've got it all figured out. We've got a plan. We know the the who, where, what, why, and when, and we've got all the details worked out, but that is not faith. Now, I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm not saying, well, I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to sell my house, and I'm just going to go, you know, uh, wander the wilderness and just live by faith. I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about uh, living every day 
believing that God will do what he said he will do and believing that God will take care of you and letting the Lord lead you. So we saw last week there are some things that God does not want us to know. There's some things that we'll never know. And God, number three, does not owe us an explanation. You say, but you don't understand. You don't understand what's happened in my life. You don't understand what I've gone through. And, and you're right, I don't. But I know this, that God is God. And as for God, his way is perfect. God doesn't make any mistakes. Uh, God is not going to, in heaven someday, he's not going to have to sit down with you and say, now I'm sorry about this, and I'm sorry. No, 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 he's God. And God does not owe us an explanation. That's where we find out if we trust him or not. That's if we find out if we trust him or if we only trust him when things make sense to us. We left off there last week. This, this, uh, this evening, I want to pick up where we left off. And number four, I want you to see in Revelation 10 that God's plan will be fulfilled. It says in verse number seven, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. Well, what did God give to his prophets in the Old Testament? He gave them prophecies, right? And some of those prophecies were fulfilled already uh, concerning the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple. The prophecies of the Messiah, of Jesus coming and being born in Bethlehem and uh, Jesus Christ being crucified. Those have all been fulfilled. But there are still some that have not been fulfilled. There's a lot of prophecies uh, concerning the tribulation that we're reading about, we're studying in Revelation right now, that the Old Testament prophets, they, they proclaimed that. It was a mystery. But verse number eight says this. It says, uh, verse number seven, that the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants, the prophets. Number four, I want to say this. God's plan will be fulfilled. God's plan will be accomplished. You say, Pastor, what about the Antichrist? Do you think the Antichrist is going to mess up God's plan? Oh, no. He's fallen right into God's plan. That's a part of God's plan. You say, what about the devil? What about all the wickedness? What about all that's going on in the world? What about the, the wars? And what about the earthquakes? And what about uh, the, the, the pestilence and the famine? And, and what about all? Hey, God's plan will be fulfilled. There is nothing and there is nobody that is going to hinder the plan of God. God's plan will be fulfilled in this world. Let me take it a step further. Did you know God has a plan for your life? And God is going to be faithful in your life. Now, God's not going to force you. He's not going to grab you by the arm and twist it behind your back. And he's not going to make you serve him. But God's going to give you the strength. And God's going to lead you and guide you and the Holy Spirit of God is going to help you. And God has a plan that he wants fulfilled in your life and in my life. We see in this passage here, verse number nine, it says, and I, uh, verse eight, and the voice of the, uh, which I heard from heaven spake unto me saying, uh, spake unto me again and said, go and take the little book, which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, give me the little book. Now you talk about obedience. Can you imagine you're John and you're writing all this stuff down and you see an angel. 
And the one angel says, go to the other angel and tell that angel, give me the book. I think I'd be a little afraid. You know, I think I'd say, please, pretty please, if you don't mind. John marches up the angel and says, hey, give me the book. I'm supposed to have it. And it says in verse number nine, and he said unto me, take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. Verse 10, and I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. He said, well, what's that all about? Well, let's think about the message that John was given. It was a message that was sweet to the people of God. Did you know the book of Revelation is sweet? It tastes good to Christian people. But can I tell you to the unsaved, this is a bitter pill to swallow. To people that do not know Christ or to people that have, have heard the name of Christ and heard the gospel and rejected it, this is not pleasant to those people. And by the way, for us, it ought to be sweet for us, but it also ought to burden our hearts to think that there are people that do not know Jesus Christ. To think that there are people, if they do not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they are going to experience the judgment of a holy God. And friend, I want to tell you, uh, the angel told John to take the book and to eat it. Here's the application number five. I think for us is this. We ought to, every day, we ought to consume the word of God. Now, I'm not suggesting you start tearing out pages and start putting them in your mouth and chewing on them, okay? I think you understand that. But you know what the Bible is compared to? It's compared to bread. You need the Bible to survive. You need the Bible for your spiritual food. The Bible is compared to bread. It's compared to milk. It's compared to meat. It's compared to honey. It's sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. And we should and we must consume the Bible. I gave the statistics. Uh, it's been several months ago. But I gave the statistics of how that the average American is spending over three hours a day uh, on the computer. The average American is spending a little under three hours a day watching television. And I understand that's the average. And some of you, you have helped to keep that average from being a lot higher because you don't watch as much or you don't do as much of that. I'm not saying you have to read the Bible three hours a day or six hours a day or whatever. But I would say this. I doubt there are too many people in this room who would say, I'm reading enough of the Bible. I don't need any more. I think all of us would say, we need more of the Bible, not less. And may God help us to consume the word of God. May, may God help us to take the Bible. And as we read it, and as we study it, it changes us. It, it, it helps us. It gets us through the day, as we uh, said earlier from Psalm 119. So we see in uh, Revelation chapter 10, we see these, these truths. Number one, get your focus on the Lord. Number two, there are some things you're not going to understand. Number three, God does not owe us an explanation. And then number four, let's consume. Uh, number four, God's plan will be fulfilled. Number five, let's consume the word of God. Chapter 11, let's jump in here very quickly. It says in verse 11, again, we're still in the, the middle, the halfway point of the tribulation. We have seen now, uh, we have seen the, uh, the seven seals. We've seen now the, uh, the six trumpets and all of that. But now in chapter 11, verse number one, we have another break. And it says, there was given me a reed like unto a rod 
And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out and measure it not for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city shall they tread underfoot 40 and two months. Now, 42 months is the equivalent to how many years? Three and a half years, right? And that is the amount of time that will last during the second part of the tribulation. You see, it's during this interlude where things really heat up. It's the second half of the tribulation where the Antichrist turns on Israel. He breaks his treaty with Israel. Uh, we, we find that he will uh, perform the abomination of desolation uh, that Daniel prophesies. You say, what is that? Well, the Antichrist himself, he will go into the temple and he will desecrate the temple and he will, he will demand that he be worshipped in the temple. And the second half of the tribulation is, is a, 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 a terrible, awful time, even worse than the first half. So it's interesting that John is told to measure the temple. Now, the temple will be built and the temple will be functional in Jerusalem during the tribulation period. But here's the interesting, and you say, well, why? Well, here's why. Did you know that the Jews as a whole, the Jews do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah? I think we all know that. They're still looking for a Messiah. They crucified Jesus. Uh, he came unto his own, his own received him not. They rejected the Messiah. So they have been desiring to have a temple and to perform sacrifices and the worship in the temple as they were commanded to do in the Old Testament. So during the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to make peace with Israel for seven years. Now, I don't know how he's going to work this out, but somehow the Jews are going to be able to rebuild the temple and the temple mount right now is not under Jewish control. How many know who controls the temple mount? It's the Muslims. And it is now there is the building there, the Dome of the Rock. And that is a very sacred and holy place to the Jews and the Muslims now have control of that. So how in the world the Antichrist is going to swing all that, I have no idea. But that in itself will be very impressive for the Jews. And that may be the catalyst to, to sign that treaty with the Antichrist for seven years. So John is instructed halfway through the tribulation to measure the temple. Now, there is no temple there now. Uh, there was the Old Testament tabernacle in the wilderness. There was Solomon's temple um, that David laid the, the, the materials in store and Solomon built. That temple was destroyed. Anybody remember who destroyed that in like five, 600 uh, BC? It was the Babylonians. Remember Nebuchadnezzar came in and ransacked the temple and uh, took the captives and then burned the temple and destroyed it. It was uh, post-captivity that uh, Ezra and some of the Jews were able to, to rebuild that temple. And remember when they saw that temple, uh, there were some that wept uh, because they remembered the glory of the first temple and the second one was not quite as much. Well, the prophecy was given that someday there would come a temple there that would pale in comparison to the others. 
And so that temple was built in the post-captivity era. And um, during the time of Jesus and around that era, uh, Herod even added on and built it up even more so. That temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. That temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and it has not been rebuilt since then. We're talking almost 2,000 years and there has not been a temple. But here's the amazing thing. Right now in Israel, there are people, and this is documented. This is not conspiracy stuff. This is documented stuff. There are people already. They're getting everything into place. They're getting all the furniture. They're getting uh, all the, uh, the training for the priests. They're getting everything ready. They're even lining up the particular animals that they will need for sacrifices. All they need now is they need that spot. But they don't have that spot. But during the tribulation period, they will. And so during all of this, John is commanded or instructed to measure the temple. Interesting. I wonder if, and this is just a thought, we're going to move on and continue this chapter, but I wonder if this is a reminder for us that God is still interested in His temple. Did you know God is interested in His church? Did you know that your body, my body, if you're saved, is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God? Did you know God cares about His temple? And He has John, it's interesting, He has Him measure it. I wonder what God would find if he came down to measure our church. Now, I'm not talking about what's the size of the auditorium, how much distance between the walls and how tall the ceiling is and how many pews and how many parking spots and how big. And I, but I wonder if God came down and he started measuring our faith. I wonder if God came down and started measuring our growth. I wonder if God came down and started measuring our spirituality. I wonder what he'd find. I tell you, God cares about his temple and God wants us to grow and God wants us to be all that we need to be. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said he would build his church and he is building his church and I thank God for that. But we see in verse number two, it says, but the court, which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles and the holy city, that's Jerusalem, shall they Tread underfoot 40 and two months. That is three and a half years. And then verse number three is interesting. It says, and I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. Now, here we go. You didn't know you were coming to math class tonight. But if you take 1,260 and you divide it by 30, 30 days in a month in the Jewish calendar, and you divide that, you will come up with 42 months, which is three and a half years. There it is again. Uh, by the way, Daniel talks about that exact timing. He says that the tribulation, the second half, will last a time, which is one, and a times, which is two and a half. One plus two plus a half equals three and a half. And so here we see it over and over and over again, three and a half years, the second part of the tribulation. But here there are two witnesses that God gives power and God gives authority that they would preach 
during this second half of the tribulation period. Verse number four. It says, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now, I'm not going to take the time tonight to do this, but you need to go back and look at Zechariah chapter 4. In Zechariah 4, God used this same illustration to show how he would use Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, during the rebuilding of the temple, God used these same illustrations of a lampstand and of an olive tree. And, and, and the, the lesson there is this. We need the oil in order for our lamps to shine, right? Well, if you've got the olive tree, you've got a continual supply of oil for your lampstand. And you know, as Christians today, you've got a continual supply of power because you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Isn't that a blessing? Aren't you glad when you run out of, of power, it's not gone? There's more where that came from. The Holy Spirit is still there. Aren't you glad if Walmart's out, it doesn't matter. They don't have it to begin with or food line or whatever. You got to get it from the Holy Spirit of God. And so we see these two witnesses. They're likened to the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And verse 5 says this, And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. You say, Pastor, there is no way in the world that that happens. Well, I don't know. But I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 1. And I want you to hold your place in Revelation 11. 2 Kings chapter 1. In verse number 9, the king sends 50 men to go find Elijah the prophet. Now keep in mind in 1 Kings 18, Elijah has called fire down from heaven and burnt up a sacrifice and an altar and the rocks and the, the water and the dust and everything else. And now in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Then the king sent unto him a captain of 50 with his 50, and he went up to him, and behold, he sat on the top of an hill. And he spake unto him, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. Now again, I'm just reading what the Bible says, okay? Verse 10, Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Whoa. So what God is telling us is going to happen during the tribulation, this has already happened before. And by the way, those two witnesses, I believe, are most likely, I believe they are Elijah and Moses. Well, I'll show you why in a minute. But Elijah in first, 2 Kings chapter 1, he has a captain of, and his 50 men that come, and they say, come down, the king wants to talk to you. And he says, he says you want me to come down? And he sends fire and devours them. Another 50, the same. Finally, the third captain came and said, please don't do that. I just want you to come see the king. And Elijah goes to the king. But we see in Revelation 11, it says, and if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Now, we see that they have divine protection. These two witnesses, 
that God sends, they have the power of God, they have the power of calling fire down or breathing out fire, whatever you want to call it, but they have the power of God to protect them as they preach and as they minister. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 4 that Elijah would come before Jesus. And of course, we see that, I believe, also fulfilled with John the Baptist, who was uh, in the spirit and power of Elijah. We see in Acts 3 that there would be a prophet like Moses that would come. And I think we see that uh, is, is, is fulfilled also in Jesus, who came as the greatest prophet that ever lived. But then we see in verse number 6, it says, These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Who else prayed that it would not rain and it didn't rain in the Old Testament? Elijah. And would you like to know, the Bible tells us in the book of James chapter 5, would you like to know how long it didn't rain when Elijah prayed? Three and a half years. Isn't that interesting? So this, these prophets have the power to shut up heaven that it doesn't rain. And then it says this, and they have the power over waters to turn them to blood. Now, has that happened before? If you're doing the Bible reading, you just read that a few days ago, right? The plagues in Egypt and Moses lifting out that rod and the, the, the water was turned to blood. Then we see next, here's another power they have, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Who else did that in the Old Testament? Moses. The, the ten plagues and the locusts and the frogs and the pestilence and the hail and all those things. And so we see these two witnesses. I, the Bible does not say specifically, this will be Moses. Although there's not really a, a, a record of, of, of him dying in the Bible. Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind and a with chariot of fire. But probably these are Moses and Elijah. These two men were the two men that appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was almost as if Jesus was just saying, hey, I'm going to give you a little preview, disciples. I'm going to give you a little preview of what is to come. We see these two witnesses had great power. They had great authority. Verse number 7 you think it's going to have a happy ending, but verse 7 kind of takes a turn. It says, and when they shall have finished their testament. I love that. You know what they did? They finished what God sent them to do. And friend, I want to tell you, that ought to be our desire. We finish our course with joy. We fight a good fight. We finish our course. We keep the faith. You and I, we are, we are indestructible until God is done with us. God will help you and God will help me to finish if you'll lean on him and if you won't lean on your own understanding. But it says that when they had finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them. Now this beast, well, I'll show you later, I believe this beast is the Antichrist. In the book of Revelation, we'll read about the beast which is the Antichrist. We'll read about the false prophet, which is the religious leader of the world, and we will read about the dragon, which is none other than Satan himself. It's, the, it's, it's Satan's trinity, and I don't say that to be sacrilegious, but Satan always has a counterfeit. For everything God has, Satan has a counterfeit. 
And this beast comes out of the bottomless pit, and this beast makes war with these two witnesses. And the Bible says, and he shall overcome them and kill them. Whoa. Verse 8, it says, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Where was the city where Jesus was crucified? It was in Jerusalem. And so this will be the same place, and these witnesses will die, and their, their bodies will lie in the street. You say, how come? Well, notice the next verse. It's a celebration. It's a celebration for the Antichrist. It's a celebration for, for the, the, the wicked people of this world. Because in verse number uh, 9, it says that the people and the kindreds and tongues shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and they will not allow their bodies to be buried. They will leave them on the street so everybody can see it. Verse 10, they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. They will make merry. They'll send gifts because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Now, I got a question for you. What did these guys do to torment people? Same thing Jesus did when he came. They told them the truth. And can I tell you, for people that hate God, and for people that are so stuck in their ways and so set on their sin, for people that want to be God themselves and don't want anybody telling them what to do, the truth torments. But aren't you glad for us? The truth doesn't torment us. The truth will set you free. Praise God for the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We see in verse 11, after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon all them which saw them. Wow. After three and a half days. Now, I understand Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights, but these two witnesses in Jerusalem, they'll be dead and for three and a half days, and then they will have the Holy Spirit of God come in them. They will uh, be, uh, be brought back to life. They'll be resurrected. They'll stand on their feet. And then I love this, verse number 12. And I'm almost done. I know what time it is. We need to wrap it up. It says, And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. Where have we seen those words already in Revelation? Chapter 4. I believe that's the rapture. When there, John said, I heard a voice like a trumpet saying, Come up hither. And, and here we have a picture of a rapture. They're raptured up into heaven. And not only that, but the Bible says that as they are raptured up, it says they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, much like Jesus did in Acts 1. He ascended up in the clouds. But then it says this, and their enemies beheld them. Can you imagine about how scared you'd be after that? You saw those guys dead in the street for three and a half days. And now they are not only alive and well, but they are being caught up into heaven in front of your very eyes. Aren't you glad that although we are in a battle and although it seems like the devil is winning at times, aren't you glad we have the rest of the story and we know that Jesus Christ will rule and he will reign and he is the victory that overcomes the world. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. 
For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.